Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. There had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it! One, two, three, four! From Triple Threat Justin Timberlake to The Roots jamming with Elvis Costello, this fall season is packed with big record releases. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. We'll review a slew of new albums this season, and Jim will add a song to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. That is Sinead O'Connor with her 1990 version of the Prince song, Nothing Compares to You. Even though Sinead O'Connor made it a worldwide hit, she didn't get paid a dime in performance royalties from uh, U.S. radio stations. Prince made some money on the song as a songwriter, but the performer of the song did not. That is because for basically the entire history of broadcasting in the United States, uh, terrestrial broadcasters, those big corporate stations, have not had to pay a penny in performance royalties to artists and labels and rights holders. That may all change with some legislation that is being introduced by the congressman from North Carolina, Mel Watt. His Free Market Royalty Act would create a license for broadcasters and lead the way to rights holders and stations negotiating potential deals for royalties to finally get the Sinead O'Connors of the world paid for performing hit songs on the radio. So a, a century's free ride that didn't exist in any other country around the world and that doesn't exist in other media in the United States is about to come to an end. It could if this passes, but uh, you've got the National Association of Broadcasters, which is one of the most powerful lobbies in the world, has successfully been able to keep hands off in terms of radio stations having to pay this big royalty. They are huge contributors, the National Association of Broadcasters is, to a lot of congressional campaigns. And as a result, I think they've gotten kind of a pass, Jim. Now, it's interesting because we've been talking for a number of years about digital broadcasters having to pay these fees and fighting to try to lower some of these fees in recent years, saying, hey, our businesses are at stake here. In order to survive, we have to lower these rates. But they are paying these rates. The National Association of Broadcasters has kept terrestrial radio scot-free for decades. Now, the National Association of Broadcasters is saying imposing new costs on broadcasters would jeopardize the future of free over-the-air radio. They're basically saying the promotional value 
of playing these songs on the airwaves compensates these artists and labels and rights holders for allowing them to use their music. But the U.S. government is even saying, hey, this is a, this is a raw deal for artists. Maria Polenta, the Register of Copyrights, says this legislation is long overdue. And Sound Exchange, the organization which would collect and distribute the royalties, says that corporate radio, which earns $15 billion a year in annual revenue, doesn't pay a cent to the recording artists and labels who create the art that draws the crowd to their airwaves. Done saying I'm done playing. Last time is on the outro. Stuck in the house, need to get out more. I've been stacking up like I'm fundraising. Most people in my position get complacent. Wanna come places with star girls and they end up on them front pages. I'm quiet with it, I just ride with it. That is Drake from his new album, Nothing Was the Same, the number one album in the country by a wide margin. Over 650,000 copies sold in its first week. It is the second biggest selling week of any artist in 2013. Only uh, Justin Timberlake with the first volume of the 2020 experience uh, sold more. He and we're going to review the new one later. We, we are indeed. He uh, sold 960,000 back in March. But Drake, third number one album for him in a very brief career. Number two, another debut, Kings of Leon with Mechanical Bull. Your old girlfriend, Jim, Cher, is at number three. Even though she's had this decades-long career, very successful career, that's her highest-charting solo album. Number four, another veteran artist, Elton John, with The Diving Board. Uh, Number five is Jack Johnson, who was last week's number one, with the record From Here to Now to You. Country artist Luke Bryan, Crash My Party at number six. Progressive rock band Dream Theater at number seven. A new dance trio out of Chicago named Cruella, is at number eight. Metallica, finally back on the charts for the first time since 2008 with a live album in connection with this new documentary movie that they've got out. And Justin Moore rounds out the top ten with Off the Beaten Path. It's always interesting to look at the numbers, Greg, because they do give you one way to quantify what people are actually listening to, except the number one song of the week is raising almost as many questions as as it is uh, giving answers. Miley Cyrus is up top of the Hot 100 chart on Billboard with Wrecking Ball. It's number one. But Billboard itself has asked, is this a real hit? I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck me. Yeah, you, you wreck me. In February, we did a story about how Billboard was, for the first time in forever, changing the way the Hot 100 was measured to reflect the fact that radio airplay plus sales of songs are no longer the only two factors in play. Song streams on the net, especially via YouTube, have become a huge source of popularity. These changes in the way the charts were measured uh, came after Harlem Shake became a huge global phenomenon. Some 103 million streams in the U.S. alone. What was different about that, though, was a lot of people were including part of the song in their own videos where they were getting up and dancing to it. So Miley Cyrus, on one level, seems to have accomplished something impressive with Wrecking Ball, which jumped from number 22 to number one in a week. 19.3 million streams for the video of that song, beating the next best streaming song, One Direction, by some 7 million hits. But the question people are posing is, is it because the video and its novelty aspect, or is it because people are loving the song? The song is kind of notorious. It's got a naked Miley riding a wrecking ball, and at one point, Miley in her underwear licking a sledgehammer. Miley has been on this shock and awe campaign since the infamous twerking at the MTV Video Music Awards. So a lot of chart analysts are saying, you know, this might be everybody's got to see this video because people are talking about it, but then nobody's going to actually care about the song. And this may be a very short-lived number one indeed. The other thing that was kind of interesting and odd about the charts is what happened to Bad Fingers, 1970 hit Baby Blue, after it closed out the final moments of the tremendous Breaking Bad series on AMC.
within a couple of hours <laughs> of the finale of, of the series, it had sold 5,000 songs on iTunes and streams had jumped on Spotify 9,000%. It was an interesting story behind how it was chosen. The music supervisor for the show hated the idea, but Vince Gilligan, the showrunner, insisted this was the perfect song. I thought it was a bad song. I, th- I thought it wasn't quite as bad as Journey ending The Sopranos, but I didn't think it, it had the, the heft that such a, an important series deserved to end the final minutes. Well, I think it was cool that they underplayed it a little bit, too. Plus, I, th- I saw it as a great breakup song. I mean, here was the lead character in Breaking Bad saying goodbye to his greatest creation, the Blue Meth, and you've got a song called Baby Blue playing in the background, and that's another breakup song. Plus the tragic end of the song's songwriter, Pete Ham committing suicide a few years after he wrote his biggest hit. I'd have gone with It's All Over Now, Baby Blue by Bob Dylan, who really was as important in his genre as arguably Breaking Bad was in its own. But uh, I, we want to throw this out to the listeners. What song would you have slotted to end Breaking Bad? And when has music been used most successfully on television? Leave us a message at 888-859-1800. So- Greg, from time to time, we like to do a segment we call Ask the Critic, where people have written in or called the hotline and uh, posed us a query. Kevin Willems is a young listener who writes, I am currently in the process of getting a band together, and I'm curious. Would critics like yourselves have any advice for a 15-year-old rock encyclopedia with a passion for songwriting and power on the drums? We had to answer this guy. He's got power on the drums. I can relate to that. (laughs) Kevin, I've been in a band. uh, I've been in bands my entire life since I was 13 or 14. I'm still in a band now. I play the drums. And I think that the the main reason, the only reason and certainly the only way you will ever have true success and fulfillment is to play what comes from the heart to pay no attention to what some critics are going to tell you to listen to everything but when you go into the rehearsal room pay no attention to any of that and try to pull out what is uniquely your own personality and express that with the group just just be yourself and make an awesome noise I would second what you said, Jim. Uh, love your music because maybe nobody else will, at least initially. And, yeah. you know, be patient with it because sometimes that greatness, that power on the drums, that power as a songwriter, it takes time to find your true voice and get that out. So, you know, hang with it for a while. Don't give up at the first obstacle that hits your path. And don't think of it as a career. If you're counting on this making your living, you're going to fail from the get-go. Do it because you love it. If you've got a question you'd like to ask the critics, email us anytime at interact at soundopinions.org or call that trusty hotline, 888-859-1800. That is Justin Timberlake with a track called Take Back the Night from his new album, The 2020 Experience 2 of 2. Jim, it is a big time of year for big album releases. We're going to devote most of the rest of the show to those new releases, including this one. This is one of the biggest of the year. His previous album, as we mentioned, came out back in the spring, and it sold over 900,000 copies in its first week. It has been the most successful pop record of the year so far. Now we have the sequel, a massive recording session with his pal Timbaland, produced the tracks on these two albums. He had been relatively silent for the previous decade. He'd only released one album in that time in 2006, focusing on his Hollywood movie career, but this year he's chosen big time to focus on his music. This is the 2020 experience, two of two. We've got a track from it called Gimme What I Don't Know I Want from Justin Timberlake on Sound Opinions. sounds that come when we become the animals that were made in the jungle. 
Give Me What I Don't Know I Want by Justin Timberlake from the 2020 Experience 2 of 2. Listeners may recall, Greg, that we were not so fond of the 2020 Experience 1 of 1. We expect a lot from Justin Timberlake, one of the most important forces in dance music, in pop music, in R&B, and he certainly had us excited with the launch of his solo career. And then he goes in the studio with Timbaland and he never comes out. Mark Twain is often quoted as saying, if I had more time, I'd have written you a shorter letter. There's some debate whether Twain actually said that or any number of other writers. But the point stands. Self-editing, concision, focus. These are very valuable qualities, especially in popular music. And they have always been there in spades and everything else Timberlake has done. And the moments of, of energy here are few and far between. It is lugubrious. It's slow. All the tracks are way too long. It is drenched in ennui, and I wasn't that fond of the first volume, and I think this volume is even worse. If we picked and chose, we might have been able to come up with one, you know, halfway decent album between these two, but instead we have these two sprawling messes that never end, and I just, I feel awful about JT, uh, you know, dropping the ball like this. It's a trash it. It's got some moments for me. The range and genre and styles. I admire the fact that he's going from 70s disco to gospel blues to some Motown-type ballads. He's even incorporating some Asian dance music. He's an agile vocalist. He's not a particularly powerful vocalist, but I love the conversational ease in his delivery. But you're absolutely right. These songs are way too much of a not-so-good thing. I think they fell in love, he and Timbaland, fell in love <laughs> with that 2006 album, those longer tracks on their Love Stoned and What Goes Around. Yeah. Those were kind of groundbreaking tracks for both of them. They worked really well. But they were really strong melodically. And that's the thing. These tracks kind of move along, but they don't really go anywhere. When you're talking about six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven-minute songs that don't move a lot, then things get really dull and boring. And it got to the point where it's almost like they're showing off without the music to back it up. There's a snappy single album somewhere tucked inside the 2020 experience, part one and two. But unfortunately, these two albums separately don't really do it. I'm going to give it a generous burn it rating because there are four or five tracks on here that I really like. But the other half of the album isn't very good. Well, a trash it from you, a burn it from me, and a quick word about our rating scale. We're giving it a fresh coat of paint. Many people uh, for years now have complained that burn it is technologically outdated and possibly even ethically wrong. And uh, others have taken issue with the idea of trashing anything in the world of art. We've been taking votes for a new rating scale at soundopinions.org for some time. The vote gathering is wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't placed your vote, do it now at soundopinions.org. Okay, coming up, we've got more record reviews from Franz Ferdinand, Heim, and more. And then, Jim pops a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we are in the midst of a big fall record release roundup. Having a lot of fun reviewing these new discs, Greg. Next up is Franz Ferdinand. That was a little bit of a track called Right Action, which kicks off album number four for this quartet, originally formed in Glasgow, named after the Austro-Hungarian Archduke whose murder sparked World War I, and a real breath of fresh air when they hit the ground in 2002. Huge hit in 2003 from album number one, Take Me Out, wonderfully energizing dance rock and a memorable video. They've done a lot of touring since then, but a fairly low profile in recent years. It's been four years since Alex Kapranos, the band leader, and his mates have gotten into the studio and given us a new record. Now here comes Right Thoughts, Right Words, Right Action from Franz Ferdinand. Let's play a song and we'll come back with our review. This is Love Illumination on Sound Opinions. When you're happy from a dream, is it hard to work out what is real? Is it real over there, more vivid than here ever feels? Oh, we could love, we could love you. If you need somebody to love you, while you're looking for somebody to love. That is Love Illumination from Franz Ferdinand. The new album is Right Thoughts, Right Words, Right Action. Jim, after they made that third record, I didn't know if we'd hear from these guys again. It has been a while. Four years feels like a century in this day and age of pop music. So, uh, you know, you're wondering, do these guys have anything left? You know, they returned reinvigorated. They sound like they're enthusiastic again. They want to be out there making this kind of music. What I've always loved about the band at their best. They always stood at this intersection of dance music and rock and sort of defined that area about a decade ago. They've never been about standing still and moaning about their feelings in these no, songs. No. It's it's more tongue-in-cheek, it's more snappy, and they pull you out on the dance floor. But at the same time, Capranos has got a lot going on in these songs lyrically. He's a smart guy. He's sort of fending with this notion of obsolescence, you know. Have we overstayed our freshness date? Uh, there's that one song in Fresh Strawberries, We Will Soon Turn Rotten, We Will Be Forgotten. You know, basically saying, you know, this is the fate of most rock bands. We will soon be rotten. He has said that he was he was writing songs based on a cynic's search for optimism and a skeptic's search for a manual. You know, asking the big life questions, but he's doing it in a very sharp, witty way. You don't dwell on that because of the way it's being presented, but there is a lot of self-doubt in this music. He knows the music is disposable, ultimately, but he also hates that he thinks that. So the music works on those deeper levels in addition to just having an instant catchiness to it. I don't think this record is as consistent 
as their greatest work. I still think their first album is the best thing they've ever done. The second album was a close second. But this is a very solid return to form for Franz Ferdinand. I'm not going to give it a bite rating because I'd say you got to seek out those first two records first. Uh, but it's a very solid Burn It record. I think you're being stingy there. I think it's a buy it record. I like it quite a bit. It's not as good as the first two. But this has been a consistent band. The grooves are always wonderful. The melodies are strong. And when you've got that kind of intellectual content, like I said, questioning their meaning in life in between these wonderful, energizing dance floor movers, you know, how can it get any better? I, I think this is a band that you first compared to one of your favorites of all time, Roxy Music. These are a new millennial Roxy Music, and people's short attention spans are the only reason why nobody's not more excited about this record. So I'll buy it from me. That is adaptation from the new Weekend album, Kissland. The Weekend, otherwise known as Abel Tesfe, he's a 23-year-old R&B singer of Ethiopian descent, uh, born in Canada, and came into uh, the public limelight in 2011 with three mixtapes, House of Balloons, Thursday, and Echoes of Silence, that he released for free on his website, caused an internet sensation. We've heard a few things about internet sensations in the last decade. He was one. That was a big year for Tesfe, kind of uh, enhanced by the fact that nobody really knew who this guy was. He did no interviews, kind of in a mystery figure. Finally started touring in 2012, made some sold-out club appearances that went over very well, and uh, big appearances at Coachella and Lollapalooza got signed to Republic Records after the mixtapes were downloaded 8 million times, and the label released the mixtapes as a compilation titled Trilogy last year. Now we have the new album, Kissland, from The Weeknd. Here's a track from it called Belong to the World on Sound Opinions. I know you want your money, girl, you do this every day. That was Belong to the World by Abel Tesfe, otherwise known as The Weekend, from the new Kissland album. Greg, as you said, this is the follow-up to a widely acclaimed trio of self-released mixtapes. This 23-year-old Toronto singer and songwriter certainly has gotten people's attention. Some people, though, are saying that this album is just a little too slow. There's too much mid-tempo introspection. There's too much moodiness. And there is the occasional burst of, of rather disturbing sexist anger. But I think... You know, if you're willing to immerse yourself in his world, of all the music we're hearing lately that's coming out of a sort of mid-tempo, 
dark night of the soul ennui. I'll use that word again, right? Because it, it characterizes Drake. It characterizes these Timberlake albums, right? Uh, I, I think he's doing it with the most soul and the most heart and the most jarring mix of beauty and ugliness, both in the lyrics and the music. I'm fascinated by this guy and who he is and where he's going. Drake was his mentor, and I think he certainly outdoes Drake on the last album. You and I disagreed about that one. I really am impressed by this record, and I think it's a buy it record. I don't, Jim. I'm not impressed with this record, actually. I I do hear what you're saying about the creepy characters uh, and narratives that he's created. There's something fascinating about it. I mean, these characters are abusive, but they sort of own up to it. The excitement is that, you know, you feel like you're a voyeur, you know, listening in on these private conversations where he's telling you exactly what he thinks of himself and of another person. And some of that stuff is so unfiltered, you're just going, it's shocking in, in, in its sort of nakedness, you know. But don't you agree this is the trend? I mean, I think Drake went for that, and I oh, think yeah. Timberlake went for that. And, and, but I think, uh, you know, Drake did it much better. I think the main failing here is that it does sort of sit in that one area musically. You know, he switched producers. He worked with one set of producers for House of Balloons Thursday and Echoes of Silence, those excellent mixtapes. And, and now he's sort of... Uh, up the game a little bit, tried to uh, change up the sound, maybe make it a little bit more commercial, but it really doesn't work. Really, this is just an extension of what he's doing on those mixtapes, not a refinement or an elaboration or an improvement. I think he's taking a step backwards in a lot of ways. The melodies aren't as immediate, and as a result, I think a lot of this music tends to sound a little samey once you get through the record a couple of times. I love the fact that he's created his own world between the headphones on this record, but as a song-oriented record, it really doesn't work. It's a burn it for me. Remember me? Remember Trying to stay together my time You took it all You tried to see You tried to bring yourself up without involving me It isn't fair To wrap you away To try to get up a go well, na 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 Can't you see It isn't fair To wrap you away But I'm trying to get your attention I need you to know Greg, moving right along with our fall record review roundup, that is a band called Heim. From their debut album, Days Are Gone, it was the first single. It's called Forever. Who are these young women? They've certainly made a lot of noise since they really been a splash at South by Southwest. People began buzzing about them. We have three young women who grew up as part of the Heim family. They were initially part of a family cover band that would play uh, songs by Joni Mitchell and the Beatles and Santana. But as they grew older, Este, one of the sisters, Danielle and uh, Alana, began to forge their own sound. And now comes the debut album. Days Are Gone. It is produced by some real pros, people who've had a hand in working with Vampire Weekend, Arctic Monkeys, Usher, and Florence and the Machine. People are very excited about this group. There's been some tracks on television already. There's there's that hit single, and there are a lot of pictures of them everywhere on the net, okay? Let's play a tune from the album and then talk about what we think of this record. If I Could Change Your Mind by the band Heim on Sound Opinions. I won't run away this time 
That is Haim with a track called If I Could Change Your Mind from the new album Days Are Gone. The trio of sisters seem to have a fascination with 80s pop radio. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it was in their parents' collection, but there are a lot of references to that era, not only in the lyrical and sonic bites, but in the overall production qualities. You know, a lot of those clattering drum patterns that you would hear on big hit records back in the day. Well, they're, they're from San Fernando Valley, and that was the high point of yeah. Valley Girl culture in yeah. the 80s. And, you now know? You, and now you have this the very retro-sounding record. It's as if the last two decades didn't happen. There are some references to metal and contemporary hip-hop, but most of these things are, are mired in, in those 80s production values. And frankly, Jim, I don't know about you, but to me, 80s production values belong in the 80s. I don't really think there will ever be a time where I say, geez, I really miss the way records sounded back in the 80s. There's are a- on record as saying <laughs> that that was the worst sounding period in the history of popular music for production. You know, we're not even talking about grime and dirt here, Jim. We're talking about there's not a speck of lint on any of these songs. <laughs> it is so clinical. It is so vacuum packed. Verses and choruses, everything squeaky clean. There are hooks all over the place. People are losing their minds about the fact that these songs are so hook packed so filled with little melodic forget-me-nots, but it is, sounds so robotic to me, so soulless, that it's, it's very difficult for me to, to get into any of these songs. The lyrics are kind of there. It's just kind of wallpaper. There's a lot of songs about holding on and jumping into the fire and all these cliches that could mean a lot or could mean nothing. And I think that's exactly the point. They're creating sort of a, a background noise that sounds very pleasant, is going to sound great in short doses on the radio. But over the course of an entire album, you're going, who are these people? You, you don't get a sense of personality. As a result, I think this Days Are Gone record is a, is a total waste of time. It's a trash it for me. I will enthusiastically second your trash it, Greg. I think it's kind of amusing that the indie rock world is so thoroughly embracing this band that is so slick and that is so clearly marketed, you know, and nobody wants to admit that they're just, they, they like the three sisters, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of besotted by them. You know what this is, though? The sound and the production are 80s. You're 100% right. But band-wise, you know who their spiritual avatars are? Hmm. Wilson Phillips. Okay. (laughs) There hasn't been a band this bad since Wilson Phillips in terms of just like they got the package. It looks good. It sounds good. There's a lot of money behind it, but there is nothing inside. Completely empty. I I will go on record. Wilson Phillips was a better band than this only because they had Carney. So a trash it for (laughs) me as well. So that was a double trash it for Heim. But enough about what we think. Tell us what you think of these albums. Call 888-859-1800. You can also email interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook or Twitter. We'll be back with our final review of the week, a collaboration between the hip-hop band The Roots and veteran British rocker Elvis Costello.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis, and we are working through a batch of big fall releases, including this one. Elvis Costello and The Roots with Wise Up Ghost. That's a track from it called Walk Us Uptown. Uh, two veteran artists. I mean, The Roots have been out of Philly for the last couple of decades, one of the most respected hip-hop artists of the last 20 years, easily. They are the crack rhythm section of our era. They're sort of like this era's answer to Booker T and the MGs. They worked with everybody from Jay-Z to John Legend, in addition to putting out their own records. Costello, of course, the angry young man out of England in the 70s, new wave artist with a hard-edged band, The Attractions, and then he's become this serial collaborator, working with a lot of different artists over the years. Everyone from Paul McCartney and Burt Bacharach to making albums with classical string quartets and uh, even hip-hop touches. So he seems to have done it all as a songwriter and a performer. These two, they got together because The Roots are the house band on The Late Show with Jimmy Fallon. Costello has been a frequent guest on that show the last couple of years. They talked about collaborating. They finally got in the studio in recent months, primarily Costello, Roots drummer Amir Questlove-Thompson, and The Roots producer Stephen Mandel, and they came up with this record. Here's a track from it called Refuse to be Saved on Sound Opinions. She said everybody free What you gonna do about me Don't wanna be treated like some part grateful clown I'd rather go back in the sweet underground I can tell the time by the color of my skin And I know my neighbor Cause he's the one Yes, he's the one Turns me in. A woman works the tunnel in the middle of the night, picking up every lost object in sight. Handbags, toothpaste, lost eggs, and fingernails. The black market eats up all your sales. The dress is the harvest, no salvation, no regrets, no no pets, no cigarettes, just non-stop, non-stop discotheques, and the sex of That is Refuse to be Saved from Elvis Costello and the Roots. Wise Up Ghost is the name of the album. I won't bury my lead, Greg. I uh, I hated this record. Hated, hated, hated it. Now, I am not the world's hugest Elvis fan. I admire long stretches of what he has done, but he has never been the songwriting genius, the master of all genres he often presents himself as. I'm still smarting for having wasted money on the Juliet letters. Remember that one where he imagined himself as Juliet writing to Romeo or whatever that was? Oh, come on. You know, albums with orchestras, albums in, in 20s jazz style. All right. He has no talent here for doing the kind of lazy coffee house rap over generic roots grooves, which is what the heart and soul of this album is. You know, I love the roots. They are uh, quite possibly one of the best bands in the history of popular music, period, in terms of a live act. They're phoning it in here. They're not doing anything exceptional. And Costello is doing this kind of scat rapping thing over it. And he's, he's very self-consciously being a writer. There's one tune, Come the Mean Times, where you hear the typewriter bell 
a ding at the end of every lyrical line. And then he does a horrible uh, duet, Cinco Minutos con Vos, you know, uh, and just just steps all over his duet partner. Uh, I just have no patience for this record. It was actually physically painful. I have to go <laughs> to uh, Iggy Pop's uh, French cabaret turn, Preliminaires, or maybe the Lou Reed Metallica album to find a more ill-conceived pairing that fails so spectacularly. So it's a trash it from me. Wow, spectacular failure. I was actually thinking, I didn't know what this record was going to sound like, and they surprised me. And I thought that was, first of all, one cool thing about it, the fact that they arrived at a sound that I couldn't possibly have imagined ahead of time. There's a scrappy looseness to it that I admire. It, it felt like they didn't have anything to lose when they went in there, and they played like that. And at the same time, there's a kind of a you know, state-of-the-world subtext here. There are a lot of these songs about government surveillance and chemical weapons being out there in the world and citizen revolts. You sort of hear this kind of paranoid backdrop going on in a lot of these songs. The first half of the album, I think, is really strong in that regard. The way Amir Questlove-Thompson sort of lays back on those beats creates a lot of space for that atmosphere and that paranoia to build. And Costello, he has done experiments like this in the past where he has worked with hip-hop beats and this kind of production. And I actually think it's been some of his strongest work of the last couple of decades. I get you on, on Costello. He can be a little overbearing at times. But I think on the first half of this record, he's very much in sync with the music, and I think it works really well. I think where it starts to fall down is in the second half of the record where the songwriting is not nearly as strong. Again, you start to get these kind of one-idea songs where within the first minute you sort of get the general vibe, the general sense of what's going on in the song, and it never really goes anywhere. But I'd say about half of it works really well. It's a burn it for me. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play a track we cannot live without. Jim DeRogatis has got the scuba gear on. I love you in those fins, Jim. Flapping out to that desert island. What are you going to play for us this week? Well, Greg, you know, sometimes we have an obvious peg when we're paying tribute to an artist for our Desert Island selection. Sometimes there's something in the news which may inspire us. The news has been kind of depressing this week, so I wasn't going to go there. I just went to the M's in my CD collection. I closed my eyes, stuck my finger out, and it landed on Morchiba. This is a band that I really loved in the late 90s when that wonderful movement in the U.K. was happening, trip-hop, the kind of very psychedelic, mysterious, and sensual sound of hip-hop mixing with psychedelic rock Portishead and Tricky and Max and K and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but Morchiba, I think, was one of the best of these groups because of a phenomenal lead singer. There were two brothers who made the sounds, Paul and Ross Godfrey, and they linked up with this woman, Sky Edwards, who just had such a wonderful, sensual voice and a presence on stage. I don't know if you ever saw them live, but they would blow you away. The first album was really impressive, Who Can You Trust? But 19 1998's second album, Big Calm, was the masterpiece. Now, the band was named Morchiba, uh, you know, Chiba being slang for cannabis, okay? Uh, so it's right there in the name. And then Big Calm is a phrase from old um, film noir movies. It was when somebody got shot and was dead. They were, they were no, not, not dead. It was the Big Calm, okay? <laughs> so there's this, this wonderful Ennio Morricone vibe that hangs over this record. And that was real common in a lot of trip hop, this kind of spaghetti western and film noir stuff. Portishead certainly did it really well. But more Chiba, I think, were always more playful musically than almost any other band. The song I'm going to play, part of the process, in addition to loving the way Sky Edwards sings this, it's part of the process, you know, right? In, in the middle of it, in the middle of this weird kind of moody, atmospheric trip-hop sound, there's a little bit of, like, country hoedown fiddle. And you just say to yourself, what is that doing there? But it's absolutely perfect. It's brilliant. I think this album is beginning to end great. Morchiba had some other 
high points, but in 2003, the Godfreys and Edwards split. I have just read that she is back working with them again, and there's about to be a new Morchiba album, and hopefully it'll be half as good as Big Calm from 98. Here is part of the process on Sound Opinions. Process by Morchiba from 1998 on Sound Opinions. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a new artist with a terrific voice in the studio, Willis Earl Beal. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Anthony Martinez. And we have a new intern, Jake Smith. One more news note on the way out. The highest price ever netted at auction for a 78 RPM recording was just uh, fetched by something called Alcohol and Jake Blues by the artist Tommy Johnson. $37,000. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline. 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, this is Chris from Chicago. You asked a question about bands reuniting and going on some reunion tours. I would say that the Jayhawks is an example of an excellent reunion. The show that I saw at the Vic a couple years ago, I saw them do Hollywood Town Hall in its entirety. And even though at first I was a little skeptical of bands reviving an old, old album and, and going on tour with it, um, there's definitely something special about 
that particular night. I don't know if it was the night or if it was the venue, the crowd, whatever it was. I felt transported back. You know, we all remember listening to that album, took us back to that place, and and it created something I felt magical. So, just want to say, Jox, excellent example of a band that definitely should have gone on a reunion tour. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, my name's Jason from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I was calling in regards to your question about reunions that worked. Mission of Burma, hands down. I got into Mission of Burma when I was in college, well after their heyday. When they got together, the albums were just as good as the albums they had made back in the 80s. I got to see them live in Philadelphia. They put on a great show. So I vote Mission of Burma. Thanks, guys. Matt from Chicago, and uh, I'm just calling after the Savages interview and the show that involved it. I enjoyed it a bit, sure, but around that same time, I was browsing through the Reader magazine, you guys probably know quite a bit, and came across Wax Idols, which I enjoyed immensely after uh, giving them a listen, and they had a very similar description as what you guys described Savages as. I remember it being something like intense female rock group or lots of heavy sounds, stuff like that. I was wondering if you ever heard of them, and if not, then you really ought to give them a look. All right, thanks. Bye. Hey guys, my name is uh, Rich from Oakland. I just want to know, just listen to the uh, show with Savages. I've never heard a bigger pile of crap in my life. I mean, I understand the need to be original, you know, being that I've been in several bands myself. But I mean, this is just art for the sake of being art. The lead singer kind of reminds me of Lydia Lunch back in the 70s. I don't know if you know who she is, but she was this performance artist. But you're looking a little bit cynical. Maybe even a little bit surprised that I'm still here today. That by anyone's set of odds, I should have snuffed it. I should have blown it. I should have bitten it a long, long time. She was great, and, you know, they seem like nice enough girls and all that, but there's no substance to their music. I'm sorry. Anyway, thanks for hearing my comments, and talk to you later. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.